اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم یوتل حکمت من یشاء ومن یوتل حکمت فقد اوتی خیرن کثیرا وما یذکر الا اولو الالباب He grants wisdom to whom he pleases and whoever is granted wisdom has indeed been granted abundant good and none would be reminded except those endowed with understanding. <clears throat> In commentary of this verse, Hazrat Masimaud has explained that the word insan has come from unsan, which means a being with two uns within himself, and uns is love. And then the an at the end it says that it is dual. And so, A person who is an unsan is one who has love for Allah Almighty and love for the creation of Allah Almighty. And this is what uniquely makes a person an insan by the definition of the word. So this is a point on insaniyat that we can remember. That from a scientific perspective, what makes us distinct from the animal kingdom is the advanced level of our consciousness. Of course, There is the physical differences that exist, but what really sets us apart from the animal kingdom, what has made us go above and beyond in our intellectual advancement and technological advancement is the ability of our mind and the consciousness that we have. And that consciousness has resulted in our being able to have religious experience. So even the most advanced animals, while they may able to be able to mimic human behavior in many different ways, but they do not have any concept of religion, of an awareness or a conscious awareness of a creator, of God. They do not have free will. And so this is what makes us unique as human beings. Our being unsan, as being capable of having a conscious love for both our fellow being and also for Allah Almighty. And so also from this we can understand why it is that Allah Ta'ala has given the analogy of animals for those people in this world who despite having been given these capacities, do not seek Allah Almighty or deny the existence of Allah Almighty or lack the love of Allah Almighty. The love of Allah Almighty is absent in their hearts. There, they do not yet fulfill the definition of unsaniyat. And they are not an insan in the true definition of the word. And for this reason, the analogy can very accurately be given of them, of a being that is like an animal. It has not yet achieved a unique characteristic that makes him distinct from the animal kingdom and makes him an insan in the full sense of the word. So this is a point that we can reflect on and how we can strive that to what extent are our lives spent in pursuits that are just a very complex animal pursuit. Because any pursuit that is confined only in this world, no matter how complex it may be, and any action done in service of our fellow man, no matter how noble it may be, It is simply a very complex and very high-level animal behavior. But it is not something that has yet reached the level of insaniyat, because that person does not have unsan within him yet. He does not have two loves within him yet. But when a person starts doing things that are a true test and use of his intellect, and also they are noble actions, but they are also combined with his uniquely spiritual capacity, there he has insaniyat within himself. And there we can say that he is unsan and he has fulfilled this definition. So the simple point of how and why we refer to someone as an insan is something that can be a point of reflection for us. And this is <clears throat> a point of 
um, etymology that Hazrat Masih Maud has explained in context of this word. <coughs> and also in commentary of this um, uh, verse, Hazrat Muslim who has explained the value that wisdom has. Because Allah Ta'ala says in this verse that whoever is given wisdom is surely given a great wealth. He says that Yani Logon ko kitab ur hikmat sikhaye or komi turakki ke raaz par zahir kare un par zahir kare pas yaad rakho ke hikmat hikmat ka sikhaya jana koi mamuli baat nahi jise hikmat ki koi ek baat bhi mile use samajh lena chahiye ke usse Allah Taala ki taraf se khair-e-kaseer hasil hui hai yani amal nek bhi achhi shay hai magar nekiyon mein tarakki karne ke gur aur kamon ki hikmatein maloom ho jaye तो ये एक बड़ी खैर है बल्कि यूं समझो कि गोया हीरों और जवाहरात की एक कान मिल गई इसमें कोई शुबा नहीं कि तमाम अच्छी तालीमात कुरान करीम में मौजूद हैं लेकिन अगर उसके احکام کی حکمت سمجھ میں آ جائے تو انسان کا جوش عمل بڑھ جاتا ہے اور ناواقفیت کی صورت میں سستی ترقی کرتی ہے پس احکام کی حکمتوں کا علم بڑی مفید چیز ہے مگر فرماتا ہے کہ لوگ پھر بھی نصیحت حاصل نہیں کرتے صرف وہی لوگ جن کی نظر ذاتی فوائد پر نہیں ہوتی بلکہ ساری قوم کے فوائد پر ہوتی ہے وہی اس سے فائدہ اٹھاتے ہیں حضور explains that to be granted wisdom is not an ordinary or a small thing whoever has been given wisdom has, given, has been given a great wealth he should um, understand that Allah Ta'ala has given him something that is great and he explained that to do a good action is a good thing However, to understand the formula by which our good deeds can progress, that is something that is a great good. Now this point is something that is worth pausing on, because to do good deeds is something that, of course, we all strive to do. And to know what the commandments of Allah Ta'ala are and to act on those commandments is also something that we strive to do. But then there are formulas by which we can progress in good deeds. And when a person learns those formulas and begins to act on them, then his capacity to do good becomes greater and greater. So this is the same way that any mathematical formula works as well. That when a person does everything manually, then he has to put in a great deal more effort just to achieve the same results. But when a person is able to learn formulas by which he can solve the same problem, then he's able to progress far more quickly. So this also is something that is a part of the science of the tasawwuf, and this is why there is so much emphasis on it. And this is why we talk about it so much. Because when we strive to do good works, if we know the formulas by which we can strive for greater and greater good deeds, then it facilitates us in that path. And where, whereas many times we may be feeling stuck, and we may feel that we're not getting anywhere in our namaz and our prayers and our spiritual striving, then there when Allah Ta'ala teaches us the wisdom of why it is that we do something, and the formula by which we can improve that action, then our progress is exponentially moved forward. Now, there are many examples of this, of how people feel stuck at times and they don't understand why it is that they're not able to progress. Now, there are many formulas that we have gone over here as well. The most simple formula that I'll remind you of is the one that the Holy Prophet ﷺ has taught. 
If people feel stuck in their prayers, they pray, they don't feel any emotion, they don't feel any understanding of what they're doing, they don't know who they're praying to, why they're praying, any of these things. So they feel no taste in their prayer. They keep trying and they keep repeating the same words of prayer, but it's still the same dead prayer they've been offering for the last five, ten years. So what is the formula for how a person can improve themselves? The Holy Prophet ﷺ taught that you should first glorify and praise Allah Almighty, then send durood on me, and then observe the prayer that you want to pray. It is a very short sentence, and I won't go into the details of it because we've covered it before in Jummah Khutbah, but the formula is that first, the mistake that we make is we don't have clarity as to who we are speaking to, who we are addressing. When we're speaking to someone who is rich and we're asking them for money, when we're speaking to a judge and we're asking for leniency in the judgment that is going to be given about us, when we're speaking to a president and we're asking for a political favor, then all those people are standing physically in front of us. We know who it is that we are addressing, but a person who is not aware of who it is that they are speaking to, then a person does not have any understanding of what they are asking, of who they are asking of. So when we pray to Allah Almighty, it's very important that first we know who it is that we are praying to. <clears throat> if we don't have a clear idea of who it is that we are praying to, then that prayer is not going to have any strength in it. So when the Holy Prophet ﷺ said that before you even go into the prayer you are seeking to offer, first glorify your Lord. What is it that you are asking? Is it that you are asking for success in your education? Then remind yourself that Allah Ta'ala is Al-Aleem, He is the All-Knowing. He is Al-Mujib, He is the one who hears your prayers and answers them. He is the one who teaches His servants as well. He is the one who has taught previous prophets of God countless pieces of knowledge that are impossible for a person to know. He taught Hazrat Masih thousands and thousands of roots of the Arabic language in one night. He taught a person who was unlettered in the deserts of Arabia such wisdom that up until today people write commentaries on the political, economic, and uh, religious principles that he expounded in not only the, his commentary of the Qur'an, but the various ahadiths, everything that is a commentary of the Holy Qur'an. So when we bring to our mind the attributes of Allah Ta'ala that are relevant to the prayer that we are asking, then a completely different picture comes before us of what it is that we are doing in that moment, what prayer is in the first place. And then secondly, when a person offers durood, they separate themselves from the selfishness that they are engrossed in when they begin prayer. And they say that when Allah Ta'ala loves the Holy Prophet more than he loves me, then why shouldn't I pray for him before I pray for myself? And this removes that sense of urgency and greed that exists in his prayer because he pauses to pray for someone else before he prays for himself. So this is a simple gur. It is a formula. It is something that the Holy Prophet ﷺ taught us. He said that you observe your prayer. It's fine, you are going to observe your prayer anyways. But first glorify Allah Almighty, then send durood upon me, and then offer the prayer that you wanted to offer. If a person follows this formula, then it completely changes the mentality with which he prays and the way in which he offers prayers. It is not about working harder, but it is about working smarter. That person who had been offering that same prayer and making no progress because of his failures and his approach to prayer. He'd been smashing his head against a brick wall for five years straight and only becoming more hurt and disappointed and frustrated in the process. But when a person works smarter rather than working harder and uses the formulas for achieving and progressing in goodness that Allah Ta'ala has taught, then he's able to cover the ground of years and years in a period of a day, in a period of hours. So this is what Allah Ta'ala desires of us. So when Hazrat Muslim one who said that hikmat is khayr kaseer, that the, this verse of the Holy Quran has said that a person who is given wisdom 
has been given something that is a great bounty that um, that he has been given abundant good then one of the points here is um, this point that yani amal nek bhi achhi shay hai magar nekiyon mein tarakki karne ke gur aur kamon ki hikmatein maloom ho jaye to ye ek badi khair hai that to do good deeds is good but to learn the formulas and ways by which to progress in goodness this is an even greater good this is a great good so this is something that we should focus on it is something that we should concentrate on islam requires that we reflect on the nature of goodness and how to progress further in goodness not that we just blindly keep doing the same actions that we've been doing since childhood or that our power, our parents told us to do or that we blindly accepted that this is a good deed because islam has said so if a person has not learned how to progress in that goodness then he has not achieved the abundant good that islam actually wishes for us to achieve and huzur goes on to say that understand or uh, a person should then understand that he has been given if he has been given wisdom he has been given pearls and diamonds and all sorts of riches all sorts of riches he said that there is no doubt that <clears throat> all good all, all good teachings are found in the holy quran however if a person does not understand the wisdom of those teachings then he will not have any enthusiasm in his actions when a person is unaware nawaqfiyat when a person is unaware of the wisdom of the commandments then naturally laziness will arise in him So here Hazur explains that when we understand and know why we are doing something then naturally we will have motivation and enthusiasm to do it because we know why we are doing it. But when a person just blindly does something then no matter how sincere he is in that blind faith and that blind action inevitably laziness and lethargy will come into his actions and why shouldn't it? So this is the reason why blind faith and blind action is something that is a temporary phase that sustains a person for a period of time but it is no way to live our lives. a child blindly obeys his parents to his own benefit of course he is told that he shouldn't put his hand in the fire he shouldn't do something that is harmful he shouldn't go out in the street without his parents accompanying him all these little rules children are told to do blindly and it is to their benefit but when that child goes to grows to adulthood for him to follow blindly those same rules will be to his detriment because now he should have progressed past that stage it is a temporary stage to blindly follow something but a person eventually has to go past that stage huzur says that therefore understanding the wisdom of commandments is a is a very beneficial knowledge and allah taala says that only those people can benefit from it who um have wisdom and who uh, look to the teachings of islam with insight so this is uh, one point that is muslim aur rizila one who has given in description of the teaching of the holy quran that yutil hikmata may yasha that allah almighty grants wisdom to whom he pleases wa may yutil hikmata faqad utiya khairan kathira and whoever is granted wisdom has indeed been granted abundant good wa ma yazakkaru illa ulul albab and none would be reminded except those endowed with understanding and here huzur said that those endowed with understanding refers to those people who don't just think selfishly for their individual benefit but they think about what is for the benefit of the entire in the entirety of society and this broadness of perspective and vision is something that endows them with wisdom as well the next verse is verse 271 وما انفقتم من نفقه او نذرتم من نذر فان الله يعلم 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 ولذ وما للظالمين من انصار 
and whatsoever you spend or whatsoever vow you vow, Allah surely knows it, and for the wrongdoers there shall be no helpers. There are different type of vows that people do. Some are positive, but many times they can be negative as well. And oftentimes people will say that if Allah Almighty accepts this prayer of mine, then I will do this. You know, that's basically what nazar is. If a person wishes for their prayer to be accepted, then they put a condition on it as if they are bartering with Allah Almighty. Huzur explains in context of this that nazar ke mutalliq hadithon se malum hota ke hota hai ki Rasul Akram sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ne ise pasand nahi farmaya. Haan, agar koi nazar maani jaye, to phir usko pura karna zaruri hota hai. نظر کو رسول کریم صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم نے اس لیے ناپسند فرمایا ہے کہ یہ خدا تعالیٰ سے ایک قسم کا ٹھیکہ ہو جاتا ہے اور خدا تعالیٰ سے ٹھیکہ کرنا کوئی پسندیدہ امر نہیں انسان کو چاہیے کہ وہ اس کی بجائے صدقہ اور خیرات اور دعاؤں سے کام لے ہاں اگر کوئی شخص صدقہ اور خیرات اور دعاؤں کے ساتھ ساتھ کوئی نظر بھی شکرانہ کے طور پر مان لے تو اس میں کوئی حرج نہیں میں یہ استمباد حضرت مسیم عہد علیہ السلاۃ والسلام کی ایک عمل سے کرتا ہوں اب بعض دفعہ ان لوگوں کو جو آپ سے دعا کے لیے عرض کرتے تھے فرمایا کرتے تھے کہ میں دعا کروں گا آپ اپنے دل میں خدمت دین کے لیے کوئی رقم مقرر کر لیں جسے اس کام کے پورا ہونے پر آپ خدا تعالیٰ کی راہ میں دے دیں اس سے معلوم ہوتا ہے کہ شکرانہ کے طور پر اگر کوئی نظر مان لی جائے تو اس میں کوئی حرج نہیں بشرط کہ اس نظر کے ساتھ ساتھ دعاؤں اور گریا وزاری اور صدقات و خیرات سے کام لیا جائے He explains that Nazar is something that in the hadith of the, hadith of the Holy Prophet ﷺ has been disliked because it is like he is making Allah Ta'ala an employee of his. He is entering into a contract. He badly wants one of his prayers to be accepted and so he says that, Oh Allah, if you accept this prayer of mine, then I will do this. So this mentality is something that is wrong. The approach is something that is incorrect. It goes against the respect that we have for Allah Almighty. But if it is done from the perspective of gratitude, If the intention is correct, then it is something that is not forbidden, it can be permissible. And he said, the, I, take, I, I draw this from the authority of the example of the, the Promised Messiah that he would say, at times people would ask him to pray for them. And he would say that I will pray for you that this objective of yours is achieved. But also you should make up in your mind that when this prayer is accepted, then as an act of gratitude, you should um, set aside a certain amount of money that you will give for the sake of the progress of Islam. And this will be a type of gratitude that you give. So Hazur said that out of gratitude, if a person says that if this prayer is accepted, then I will do this out of gratitude to Allah Almighty, then there is no harm in it if it is combined with humility and sincere prayers to Allah Almighty and Mujahida. And all of these things of the prerequisites of the acceptance of prayer come together. So Nazar is something that, I'm not sure, I don't think it's something too prevalent in the Jamaat, something that's too much found in our culture because of the tarbiyat that um, the true understanding of Islam gives to us. Maybe it's found to an extent, maybe it's more prevalent among non-Ahmadi Muslims. But the principle here has to do with the etiquettes of prayer and how it is that we should, um, the mentality that we should have when we pray to Allah Almighty. And this is an etiquette that has a, uh, that, that the Muslim Awad who taught us here. <clears throat> the verse of the Holy Quran says that um, the vow, of course the vow that is done well, that whatsoever vow you vow, Allah surely knows it. So any vow that we do, it is now our responsibility to fulfill it. And we are accountable before Allah Almighty in that regard. So this is a point that we already covered a few verses ago of how Allah Ta'ala has placed a great importance on the words that we say. Even if we make a vow or a promise that we regret later, even if we get an opportunity to replace it with something that is better later, we are told to fast three times when we break that vow. 
And the reason is that when only when we have respect for our own words, and only when our words have value does our shahadat carry any meaning. If a person just breaks his vows without thinking anything of it, if a person makes a promise to Allah Ta'ala or anybody and then breaks that promise, then what value does his shahadat have when he says that I bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah and that I bear witness that Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the messenger of Allah. So when we know someone is a liar, when we know that someone breaks his promises, then when he gives this testimony, then it's meaningless. It's meaningless words because they are not backed up by any precedent of action in his life. But when we know that a person, even if he is a kafir, as has been found, even if he is a disbeliever, even if he is morally corrupt, but some people, they have these qualities within them that when they say something, then they fulfill their promise. It is something that is ingrained into their culture that they will die before they go back on their word. So when such a person, despite all of his other failings that he may have, when he says that Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, that I bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah and that I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, then that statement is an act of worship. That statement is something that carries great value because his words carry value. The value and the importance that he gave to his words ahead of time is what added strength to his shahadat and made it a statement of such goodness and such strength and such value in the sight of Allah Almighty. But when a person, even if he is a Muslim, does not have self-respect and give value to his words, then his shahadat is meaningless, his promises are meaningless, and his statements of faith are things that do not carry any value in the sight of Allah Almighty. So Allah Ta'ala says that any vow that you make, then remember that Allah Ta'ala knows it. And فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُهُ That Allah surely knows it well. So with these points, we'll end today's dharas, and we have a few minutes for questions. So if anyone has any questions, then we can address them.